Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have reached the end of another momentous week. Prime Minister Boris Johnson was released from hospital and continues to recuperate in isolation at Chequers. President Donald Trump withdrew funding from the World Health Organization uh, amidst allegations that they have really not done the job that they were supposed to do with regard to China. Lockdown in Britain was extended for another three weeks yesterday by acting leader Dominic Raab. And former Army Captain Tom Moore, aged 99, has raised over 18 million pounds for the NHS by walking around his garden. I mean, if all of those little facts don't sum up precisely what has happened, I don't know what does. That is the best of us, and that is the absolute and utter pinnacle, I think, of the way that we are dealing with this coronavirus right now. What a remarkable time this is. What have you been doing all week? Do let us know, because you are the eyes and ears of the Independent Republic, and we need to know what you know. Overnight, I've had lots of people contacting me with stories of heroes, complaints about companies that are not doing their bit, and just decent people sharing their experience it is a strange time indeed, but we are all getting through it. And I have to say, uh, the new series of Fowder is helping me remarkably well. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later, we are starting a new feature on the show with consumer journalist Georgie Frost. And we'll be taking up the cudgel on your behalf if there's a financial problem you need solving. Today, we're going to be looking at travel companies, particularly TUI, uh, who are refusing to give refunds to people. Uh, we'll be trying to help you out with that. And she'll bring us some money-saving tips to the lockdown as well. And if you've got anything... You want us to look into for you, please do let us know. 0344-499-1000. And because it's Friday, of course, it's time for another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards in the company uh, of producer Marta Malagon. An homage to my brilliance in broadcasting. I would think most of them are going to come from the show on Tuesday, to be honest. <laughs> 0344-499-1000 is the number. We are live streaming on YouTube, uh, on Facebook and on Twitter, of course, as well. Don't forget to watch us as well as listening to us. There's a growing horde of people uh, who are joining the independent Republic of Mike Graham every single day, not just because we bring you the news and we bring you the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, but we also bring you hope. We also bring you 
good feelings. We also bring you an optimism that many other broadcasting organisations feel is not necessary. We are the only way to go, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. And with a view to taking stock and with a view to asking where we are now and where are we going next, I thought the best person to talk to uh, is our good friend Lucian Hudson, uh, who is, of course, former head of government communications, now working with Thinking the Unthinkable. Lucian, a very good morning to you. A very good morning to you, Mike. And thank you very much indeed for joining us. I think you, like me, are one of those kind of, um, I would say, critical people uh, at a time of need because you analyse what is going on, you look at how government is behaving, but you criticise only when it's uh, absolutely and utterly sort of a positive criticism. I think that's fair. I mean, we've come a long way and we need to also acknowledge just how much we've achieved in three weeks yes. since the lockdown. Uh, that's the government, clearly, and all the authorities, the NHS, the critical workers, the essential workers, but the public as a whole. I mean, this has been a tremendous test of resilience, of gritty determination, and actually putting up with a lot of things that we didn't think was possible yes. because we want to pull through and we want to avoid a resurgence of this epidemic. And quite rightly so, because when Dominic Raab said yesterday we've come such a long way, it would be foolhardy uh, to wipe all of that out by trying to lift the lockdown quicker. Um, and I think most people will agree that another three weeks is doable. Well, I think another three weeks is necessary. Uh, it's at least another three weeks. I think the government has been absolutely right to emphasise that we need to be advised by the medicine and by the science we need to make sure that there's not more pressure on the NHS in terms of uh, protecting lives. And we need to make sure that social distancing continues. Mm. Any, uh, liber any liberalising of that or relaxing of that at this point will be counterproductive. And it will delay not just being able to get on top of the epidemic, but also delay any recovery. That's what I think is a key point emerging, in my view, from government, is that it's not a trade-off between public health and the economy and leading the kind of life we'd like to have. They're all related. We need to get on top of the epidemic. We need to be convinced or more confident that it's not going to re re resurge or reoccur. That's very difficult because we haven't got absolutely all the answers yet. And clearly, we are far, we're still far off, despite best efforts, to get vaccines and treatments. So I think there has to be a realism mixed with the optimism and I think a lot of people are showing that and hats off to them. Yes and I'd just like to make a one small point and this is not nitpicking, it's not overly negative but you know watching some of the things that happened last night, one of the things that worries me is people letting off fireworks it's all very, you know, let's, let's praise the workers and the NHS workers and the food workers and all the essential and key workers let's clap them and bang pots and things like that but I don't think we need any fireworks, you know, some people have got pets, they don't like fireworks there's no need for them and also I saw a bit of footage, I don't know if you've seen it, Lucian, this morning, uh, from Westminster Bridge, where loads and loads of people were out, very, very close to one another, with police who were also very close to them. And I think that just sends the wrong signal. I, I very much agree. Uh, it's difficult. Uh, and I think, of course, there's a logic to what the government needs to do. And I think the government has been very conscientious at that. I'm not one who says just, just because the PM is convalescing, somehow the government's in limbo. Um, on the contrary, there is a very coordinated response, but there's only so much you can do in the light of what we know and about uh, as much as we can do in terms of where, this, where the virus has spread. I think 
we need to continue to be responsible. And that's difficult. I know there's a lot of pent-up frustration, if not pent-up um, um, dissatisfaction that we have to continue to work with the social distancing. But actually, we, it's not just our head, but our hearts that must be talking now, yeah. which is that unless we, we keep to it, we keep to these disciplines, we're not going to be able to have anything like a, 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 a relaxed uh, lockdown or indeed a recovery. And, and, and those disciplines are important. And I think everyone just needs to use their common sense, but also show some appreciation that unless we do that, we're going to be in a worse position than we were to begin with. And that's the big danger I think we face at the moment. And that's why I think the government is right to emphasise why it is we need to have a continued lockdown, while at the same time, obviously indicating how much progress we are making, but precisely because people are observing, cooperating with or complying with the social distancing. Yes, I think that's absolutely right, because in the end, um, you know, we don't really suit the way that they did it in Spain and the way that they're doing it in China and the way that we did it else uh, in other countries which are a little bit more, shall we say, used to draconian measures by the state. What are you making of the uh, the figures coming out of China today, Lucian, where they're saying that, you know, there actually may have been more people died, dying of uh, the coronavirus than, than they first said? They've, they've basically upped the figure, but not by very much. Well, it's very difficult to understand quite what the picture is in China. Um, and as we know we still need to get to the bottom of just what happened and when did people know and what could they have done about it. I think at the moment we've just got to ensure that we are getting as much information we can from China, indeed anywhere else. And from my perspective, Mike, that there is a, a more of a global response to this because it's all very well that each and every country is doing what it has to in its own context. It is a differentiated response and I think quite understandably Equally, this will be protracted. Mm. And the stark truth is that until we find the vaccines, the treatments, and we're absolutely confident that we're on top of the spread of the virus and that fewer and fewer people be infected, we are, all of us across the planet, at, at danger, at risk of, the, of a resurgence of the epidemic. And I, I would just say that all countries, China, United States, all of us, are facing a systemic threat that unless it is addressed not just nationally or locally, but globally, mm. we're not going to be able to pull through. So I would encourage us to work with China and find ways with China to make sure that we got the best possible intelligence and information so that we can all make informed decisions wherever we happen to be in the world. I was only talking yesterday to Mike, Mike to a colleague in Pakistan, yeah. and they've been in lockdown similar time length of time as, 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 as us in the United Kingdom. Yeah. And, you know, they're not sure when they're going to come out of lockdown. They're facing similar um, um, situation as us. In their case, people who are, are shopping not only have to queue, but they have to wear masks. They have to be sprayed on their legs and arms. They have to maintain social distance within the shops themselves. Right. This is tough for everybody. And I think, you know, if, if we can learn more from China, good. But equally, we're learning that they can, even if you're on top of it, you can get a resurgence. Yes. I mean, I'm keen as well to learn from Austria, to learn from Spain, to learn from Denmark, all places who this week kind of decided to lift uh, slightly the restrictions in terms of... But they had proper lockdowns, you know, so they're opening up uh, more shops which are not what you would regard as essential, maybe clothes shops. We heard yesterday that some fast food outlets uh, are opening up for deliveries only. Uh, 
Uh, we're also hearing that the Football League has issued a statement today saying that basically uh, they will resume playing football uh, behind closed doors. They haven't given a date yet, but when that date is, is possible, they will do that. Yes. I mean, I think we, we have to get real about us being in a protracted version of a lockdown. Mm. It doesn't mean that we carry on as we are doing. I, do, I think the current state of affairs is unsustainable. But what is realistic is saying that until we've got the vaccines and the treatment and the spread is much more limited, we do face a phased or calibrated lockdown combined with other social distancing measures. Yeah. And the whole package needs to come together. And I'm sure the UK government is really on top of this. It's difficult for the government to say much more than it can, I think, because it can't risk people um, receiving mixed messages. Yes. But there is a message um, a, a, around, you know, as well as the lockdown, there is, if not an exit strategy, which I think has been somewhat um, somewhat misleading term, certainly a transition plan that involves us having a package of measures around social distancing, testing, tra tracing, being really clear what the capacity is of the NHS and how we can do all that to avoid a resurgence and at the same time keep the economy going and preserve a quality of life that, you know, we have, become, we have become accustomed to. But the quality of life we will have in months, and I believe years to come, may well have to be different in the light of this crisis. Yes, I think, I mean, you and I have spoken about this a little bit before, Lucian. You mentioned there that we have to kind of maybe reassess our relationship with China. I think we became too reliant on China, the rest of the world as well as us. Uh, for manufacturing, um, clearly because it's cheaper, they can produce stuff uh, for very, very small amounts of money. But I think we have to reassess that, don't we? I think that's spot on. I think what, what we all now come to realise is that w what we thought was perhaps a distant and not immediate threat, say, of climate change, any of these systemic threats are real. Don't forget, we, in common with others, have put a respiratory epidemic very high up our risk register along with terrorism, along with flooding. It's always been there. Mm. I think going forward, we cannot anticipate the exact nature of a particular threat. And we, did, we couldn't anticipate the precise nature of the coronavirus. But what we probably can do more, and we are all responsible for this, no one specifically is to blame, is just to make sure that we can crank up, ramp up our capacity to act even faster than we do. And actually... I'm with you, Mike, that we can be actually encouraged by just how agile, fleet of foot, yes. how enterprising people have been at community level, in business, in government, across, um, the, uh, across the UK. And that's a very big prize. And th therefore, I'd say the government's right to obviously emphasise what we're doing on public health. It's right to put the investment it, it has into the economy. But we also now need to face up to the fact that our society may well need to be restructured. There's nothing to do with capitalism or socialism. This is just about how we get a combination right between what intelligence we have, and that's, a lot of that's driven or informed by better technology and our use of technology. For instance, digital contact tracing, I think, could form part of the answer. It requires a lot of initiative, and we've seen that, and you've quoted great examples this week of people using the initiative mm. and inspiring the others and themselves. I think we need the investment. It needs to be a targeted investment. And I think the main thing is innovation. We will emerge more innovative. Yeah. 
if we play this right. Absolutely correct. I couldn't agree with you more, Lucian. And finally, what do you say to those people, particularly in the Labour Party, who seem to want to see the government putting out some kind of plan of action? I think the trouble with doing that is that this is such a movable feast in, in terms of a story uh, and the way that it's dynamically changing every single 24-hour period. You know, I don't think it's possible to do that, is it? It's difficult. I mean, um, I think the opinion polls are already showing that the Prime Minister has got a boost to his own ratings. Yeah. Um, but so has Keir Starmer. So I think Keir Starmer has made a very sound start as leader of the Labour Party and leader of the opposition. And in a sense, I want a strong Prime Minister and a strong leader of the opposition. Um, I think that the, the Labour Party and others are right to pick up about the... With the there's a human dimension to this. And that's not just about how we feel. It's about real things like, you know, um, domestic violence, about how um, different communities have to put up with a protracted lockdown. And quite understandably, they're asking for, you know, what are the plans or what could be the plans? Mm. Where I think I would differ is uh, I would say we're not there yet in terms of communicating what we could possibly do. We know from that weekend, don't we, Mike, before the lockdown, yeah. how individuals, even if they're not acting selfishly, but if they all act in their own way, in ways that go against social distancing, it will, have, it will be counterproductive. And I think the government is right to be really, really precise and strict about that based on the medical and, and scientific evidence. I think the opposition... I think can ask for, all right, what would good, good look like if we are to emerge out of this crisis? But it also needs to contribute some ideas to that too. And I'd say one of the things that the government needs to be held to account, and rightly, is the delivery on its intentions. So not a day goes by where there's not some gap between what the government would like and the delivery of it. And a good example for me is just how much money is reaching small business. Yes. You know, there, there are bottlenecks. And maybe the government should just think of how it presents, um, you know, troubleshooting, you know, cutting through bottlenecks, finding solutions. There is that happening, but maybe it can afford to present that. And I think the other thing, the government at, in its news conferences, I think shouldn't just look as if it's addressing media questions. Of course, media asks some very good questions, not least yourself. I think, however, the engagement now is with the public, and I'd like to see a broader range of voices yes. closer to the action who've got real responsibility for paying their part in getting on top of this epidemic. And I would like to see those news conferences used more as public engagement rather than engagement with some top um, you know, news correspondents. Absolutely right. I think that's essential. Very good advice, Lucian. Thank you very much again, uh, as ever, for talking to us. Lucian Hudson, former head of government communications, now working with Thinking the Unthinkable. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Lord Andrew Adonis, a very good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. How are you doing? Uh, well, we're all doing our best, aren't we, in this lockdown, but uh, frankly, it's, uh, it's not great for the country. Um, it's not. Where, we, where, whereabouts, are you, whereabouts are you currently? I, I, I'm in London. You are, OK. Uh, well, I always am. And uh, I've never seen London so empty. I no. Mean, it's, uh, it's London without the people. 
and uh, we're looking forward to meeting all the people again, aren't we? Well, we are, but actually there's parts of, uh, of London which are rather nice uh, when they're much more quiet. I stopped going on the Tube a while ago because I thought Sadiq Khan's decision to limit the number of trains was a bit ridiculous and I didn't fancy, you know, travelling cheek by jowl with lots of people and, and possibly getting infected. So, so I now drive um, and I'm happy to see that he finally removed the congestion charge and the parking has become free. So, so that's a very good thing. Um, but it is very strange, I, I agree. Uh, well, the big issue now is how we come out of it. And uh, obviously, uh, we need to do so safely. Mm. And we're all studying what uh, particularly the Germans are doing, because they're a bit ahead of us on, on this. And uh, what Chancellor Merkel said this week about how, it, how she intends to start opening the primary schools, see how that goes, then um, uh, essential traders... Uh, whilst still maintaining a lot of social precautions, mm. it looks as if that's going to be our way ahead after this next lockdown. Yes. And uh, how we handle that as a country, I think, is going to be absolutely crucial in in the weeks ahead. Yeah, I think the difficulty, I suppose, for the government and for every government, really, is the, the, just the, the, the sort of the unknowns that we know nothing about, you know, because we're watching Spain and Denmark and Austria lifting their restrictions on some things, and it looks as though France are going to open up their schools as well. Um, but you, you won't really know, will you, for six months whether that was a good idea or not? Well, the great advantage we've got, because we're a bit behind them, you know, both in the lockdown and in opening up, is that we can look at what they're doing very carefully. And I hope all our people in Whitehall are doing this, because it's really important, you know, what actually happens, how they go about opening the schools, how they deal with the social distancing of the teachers, which is particularly important, because, of mm. course, kids are, aren't liable to... Um, uh, to, 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 go to, to go down with it, but, but older people are. And we need to learn really seriously from what they've done so that in, uh, it looks as if it's going to be two or three weeks' time, doesn't it? We start going down the same track. Yeah. We do it on the best possible model and can correct quickly if, if, uh, if things start going, going wrong again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, is it possible, do you think, that, say, this time next month, that we might have the ability to open up gyms for people, for example? I would have thought so. But because uh, that's the direction that um, uh, that Denmark, Austria, Germany, Spain are going, yeah, uh, they're starting to they're, they're clearly going through two phase or three phases, aren't they? The first is opening up primary schools, yeah. and essential services, but with significant with you know serious social precautions. The second is a more wider opening up, but maintaining the social precautions. But they've all said that they're not going to allow larger gatherings. Uh, until at least um, August. Yeah. So it, uh, it, the question which you then face is where do you put particular activities like gyms you've just mentioned, mm. but also secondary schools will be a big one, universities will be a big one. Where right. do you put them on the spectrum? Are they, are they in the first phase or the second phase? And this really matters because, of course, people's um, as jobs are at stake at every stage. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, funnily enough, I suppose in terms of universities, for example, there's 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 a lot of things that might change going forward because so many people can now do stuff online that there might be a situation where the university says, well, let's just keep doing that. There's no necessity for people to go and sit in the same room and listen to a lecture when they can do it online. I think you're completely right. Uh, the, the lecture as a, as a form of education is clearly outmoded in terms yeah. of people turning up in a room to watch somebody delivering something they could just as easily watch online. However, what I'm struck by talking to students is that the tutorial, actually, you know, actual interaction with a teacher and with their fellow students, 
that is really important. But there's no reason why what you couldn't do after this is is stop all this big investment that's being being uh, put into endlessly repeating lectures, put them online, yeah. but have a more intense experience for the students in terms of actual engagement with a teacher. In my experience. Um, Students would like that, and it mm. could be at long last this crisis enables us to move in that direction. But the big early decision is when can students go back to uni, and in particular, on the spectrum we're talking about, it might it be possible for them to get, say, a month of the next term, you know, from, yeah. say, May to June, going back to uni, or is the whole of the next term a write-off? My, my view of the situation is, is I think we should be very cautious about writing off the whole of the next term, because we're currently in April. To say to young people, look, we're not doing any... Um, you know, get together education for another um, six months. Yes. That's quite a big thing. Well, I think so. And I think also, I mean, I've got two young uh, teenage boys and, and they miss the social interaction. There's no question about that. And it's a much harder experience, I think, in a way for them than it is for people like you and I. I completely agree. And that's why I think this issue about getting the primary schools back first and then seeing whether maybe at half term it's possible in some form to get the secondary schools back. Mm. Those are really important issues. And those are ones where we should be looking at what our European friends are doing because they're starting to wrestle with these same issues. And it's so important not to see it as an all or nothing. It is possible to have some parts of your you know, economy and education system functioning with precautions yeah. without opening up everything. And in particular, you know, what you've clearly got to avoid is is pubs and, and packed tube trains where people are, che are cheap by jowl, uh, particularly older people, of course, because they're the ones most liable to go down with it. Yes, exactly right. In a serious right. way. I mean, but when it comes to schools, it, maybe you can take a different approach. Yes, exactly right. One of the things that surprised me during all of this, and I mean, there have been many things that have surprised me over the last two months, but, but the HS2 decision, you were obviously involved very early on with HS2, but I mean, why on earth would they, uh, in the midst of all of this, so, suddenly say, right, we're going ahead with HS2? Well, the decision has already been taken. Indeed, it's been taken five times in the last four years to go ahead with it. And the mm. last time was in February when Boris Johnson went ahead and made a statement in Parliament saying we would do it. And I think, I mean, you and I may disagree on whether HS2 is a good idea. I think yeah. it's essential to have state-of-the-art, high-capacity connections between our major cities. But we've come to the stage now as a country whether our, we can actually deliver on big infrastructure projects once we've committed to them. Yeah. We've already spent £10 billion on HS2. There were thousands of people that work on it. Indeed, alas, quite a few of them are being furloughed at the moment because of the crisis, but they were working on it before. To stop it now, uh, having taken those decisions, whether you think it was a good thing or a bad thing, I think would be really ludicrous as a decision. And having decided to go ahead with it, proceeding with all deliberate speed now makes a lot of sense because the big problem it's quite clear we're going to face after this crisis is mass unemployment. It looks as if unemployment has already risen by 2 million. We don't know how many of those people will get back to work after the um, crisis, but it looks as if, particularly if it goes on for another few months, we could face a really serious yeah. unemployment Yeah, but problem. isn't that why? And, and, having, and, have, and having people on big construction projects like this, which can get back immediately, I think is going to be a very worthwhile thing to be doing. Well, possibly, but I mean, first of all, I'd take issue with state-of-the-art because it won't be state-of-the-art by the time it's finished because it's, by the time it's finished, we might be flying around in drones. You know, I probably, I won't, I would expect that I will not be alive by the time that HS2 is actually finished. And in terms oh, you, of... Oh, you, un you undersell yourself. That healthcare <laughs> will keep you going for a good 20 years longer. Well, and you, well maybe. And open in, 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 in less than 10 years. Yeah. I think we'll probably be there. We'll get you on the first train. Well, thank you. But, but the other logic of, 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 you know, it's like going into a grocery shop and 
going into Waitrose and saying, well, I'm going to spend £10 on um, uh, some groceries and I'm going to take them home and cook them. Actually, why not? While I'm here, why don't I just spend 150 quid instead uh, and take a load more stuff home? You know, the logic is, 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 is faulty, isn't it? No, because we need this. It would be faulty if we didn't need it. Well, we don't need it, though. We do, we do need HS2. We have a massive shortage of transport capacity between our major cities, and this serves the four biggest cities in the country, London, Birmingham, Manchester, Leeds. They are the absolute backbone of our national economy. That's the reason why every time we've looked at HS2, of course, nobody you know, wants to spend... Uh, 80 to 100 billion as we've really got to we've always come to the conclusion that we need a new railway line to connect those great cities and conurbations in the same way as virtually every other major country in the world has invested in uh, in new high-speed lines between their major cities we're at the back of um, uh, uh, you know we're well behind the curve in doing this and the that's, that's true. Yeah, but hang on. Is, we've also now we've, got, we've also the existing railways. But we've also now just come through a period of months whereby people haven't travelled by train at all because they're working from home. And I think that will have a resounding effect, generally speaking, going forward in the in the economy. Because companies will say, well, why do we have to pay people to come to work? Why do we have to have offices? Why do we need to uh, give people money for uh, train travel expenses when they actually don't need to use the train? Well, I don't think many people are going to look back at this experience and say it's a model. I think they will. I think, people, I think, I think you're wrong about that well, because I well, know for, I, I can tell you from experience in this media organisation in which I work, there's a lot of people having conversations about whether or not uh, you need to have a big building in the centre of London uh, which has got multiple floors when you could actually have a much smaller operation and have people working uh, as satellites from home. Well, that's not to say that there won't be scope for some more home working. I think that will happen. Mm. But I think to extrapolate from what's happened now that people aren't going to want to, to get together and do business and meetings and do education and all those things together, I don't think is correct. I, I think what No, no, OK, but what I would say, though, is, is that if... if, no, against, but if against this whole coronavirus experience. No, sure. To continue it. No, of course, but what I'm saying is, is that one of the arguments for why we need HS2 is because we don't have enough capacity on the trains. I don't think we'll need any more capacity on the trains because they will be less full. Well, I very much doubt that is the answer. Mm. And the problem, if, if you work on that assumption, is if you say, OK, we'll put it all on hold for 10 years and see, uh, you've made a absolute, you've really uh, handcuffed your economy if at that stage you discover that it was a mistake. And the likelihood is it will be a mistake because we've had all this new technology now for, for 30 years. And what's happened, and, I, and it's my view that this will be the pattern of the future, is as people use new technology more, which is a good thing, and it does enable more flexible working and so on, the, the uh, desire to travel and to get together both for business and for social purposes and for education and so on, that also increases, which is the reason why we've both had broadband taking off and we've had the biggest increase in rail travel over the last uh, 20 years that we've seen since the Victorians. So I think at the moment it's a case of and, not or, that we will both do a lot more teleworking, homeworking and all that, and we'll do uh, more congregating together we're not going to be trading off between them. OK. One final question, Lord Adonis. Um, I presume you're not that happy that they haven't decided to extend the, uh, uh, the time at which we leave the European Union. Well, that decision has... I don't think that's yet been taken because that what they're saying at the moment is that they want these um, negotiations which are taking place uh, uh, across um, 
uh, in a, uh, they're taking place by video conferencing. They want those to continue. Let's wait and see where they get to. If mm. they can indeed get to a position where they've got a deal in the next two or three months, fine. Don't if you think? Don't you think the European Union have behaved disgracefully when it comes to not helping Italy? Uh, well, we're still in the early stages of this yet. The big question. Well, is Italy's what not. Italy's not. Italy was begging them for help, and they didn't get any. No, they have had. They have had some help. There's a big debate about whether they should have more. Uh, but of course, the, uh, that, that uh, is uh, a debate which affects us too in, in, in due course, whether we think we have any duty to help with the reconstruction of the countries worst affected. So it's going to be a big, big debate for us as well. Well, I don't think but we do, do we? Because we're not in it anymore. We've already left. Uh, well, whether we have an interest in, uh, in, in economic regeneration in Europe is a big question for us going forward. Are, yes. we, are we just an island and we pull up the broad bridge and we can have nothing whatever to no, do? No, but there's a difference between... No, but there's a difference between... That's, that's a big question. The idea well, that a, well it's like foreign aid, isn't it? There's a, there's a difference, Lord Adonis, between helping countries because you want to help them because you feel like it's a moral duty as opposed to being forced to help them because you're part well, of this kind of club where they come to you for money all the time. No, but they're, but they're not forced to. There's nothing in the European Union that requires one country to help with the reconstruction of another... That, that's not the case. Well, what's the point of the it? Debate then? taking place, uh, free trade. That's the, at the heart of it. It's maintaining an, op an open set of trading uh -huh. relations. That's, so what that's the why European they shut all the borders. Then and that's why they shut all the borders. A, yes, they had to because of the crisis. Yeah, right. Any, so you know, it's falling apart at the seams. You might as well admit it. No. So this is a ludicrous argument. Of course, at the moment, when you're in the middle of a, of a global pandemic, yes. where any travel, not just travel across borders, but travel within cities. I mean, you and I at the moment are at home. Well, we've just imported a whole oh, plane. A plane load of Romanians that's just landed at Stansted Airport to pick a load of fruit. Yes, uh, that's true. And we've allowed that to happen because we needed it for our economy. Right. But, the, but most people are locked down, both within countries and between countries. What happens after this, of course, is the issue. And what we all want to see, uh, whether we're leavers or remainers, is a properly functioning international trading economy. I mean, our, our futures will be decimated if that's not the case. And we have a huge interest in, in that happening. And I hope we're going to be constructive and not negative. In, yes, in our I'm, sure we, I'm sure we will be constructive as ever. Lord Adonis, thank you for talking to us um, about a great many things, including, of course, HS2, which many of you are agreeing with me on, uh, that it's going to be basically out of date by the time it's ready to go. 
Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is just after 12.30, so it is time for our homeschooling segment. So if you haven't done it already, uh, get your children around the radio uh, and be prepared to learn something because today uh, we're going very, very upmarket. Uh, we're going to the University of Cambridge to, doctor, to talk to Dr Charles Weiss, Senior Language Teaching Officer at the Faculty of Classics. Charles, a very good morning to you. Good afternoon, Thanks. I should say. Thank you, Mike, and to you too. Thank you very much indeed for doing this for us, you know, because so much of uh, our language is based on the ancient Latin and ancient Greek that uh, that was spoken many, many centuries ago. I learned Latin as a, as a boy at grammar school back in the 70s, um, and I can still remember the sort of conjugation of a moa massamat and all of that, but I never actually did Greek. So, so do tell us, please, um, what is the importance of knowing how the classics uh, operate? Well... I've always thought that if you can control and know more about your own language, then you're going to make better arguments. Yes. And you're going to understand other people's arguments as well. Mm. Right. So, so, so many times when we get into debates, we're, we're actually debating definitions. Yes. And if you understand the history of a word, then you understand its definition. Right. It's interesting because obviously I, I've used words all my life. I was a print journalist before I became a radio presenter. And so words for me are literally what I do, you know. Yeah. Um, and I'm always of the opinion that I use words in a very deliberate way and I use words very specifically and I know precisely why I'm using a particular word. Exactly. And words are more important than ever today, right? All, they are. all we've got. Now yeah, well, are exactly, words. exactly. Particularly now that we can't actually see anybody uh, face to face, we can all, yeah. we can only talk to them basically over various exactly. varieties. But but tell us about how language kind of came about. How did how did the ancient Greeks and and and, and then Latin emerge at first? Well, do you want me to give you an outline, a little bit of an historical yes, outline? Please. It's complicated over, over the radio, okay. um, but I can scratch the surface. Okay. If, if we talk about just a little bit about English for a second, mm. depending on how you count, anywhere from one-third to about half of the words that we're using every day have strong or weak roots in ancient Greek and right. Latin. Okay. By a strong root, I mean that a word is coming pretty directly to us from ancient Greek or Latin. For instance, the word virus is a Latin word that means slime or venom, hmm. virus. On the other hand, if we, if we say that someone shows symptoms, that is, signs of having an illness, then that too is a direct borrowing of the ancient Greek word symptoma. Huh. So major words that we're using every day are coming straight from Greek and Latin. Interesting. Um, when, I, when I use that word root, that's a, a figure of speech, right, or a, a metaphor. Yeah. And if we think of just even those words, figure comes to us directly from the Latin word figura, which means shape. Right. This word survives in Italian today, of course, and we can talk more about Italian at some point. If we look at metaphor, that, word's come, that word comes from ancient Greek, the word metaphora, which can mean a change. Mm. In this case, we're changing the meaning of root from a literal physical root, like a tree's root, to, to a non-literal meaning of root, something like the history of yeah. the origins of something. It's fascinating because, um, as you say, the more that you look into this uh, business, why was it, for example, if you can tell me, and you're going to, I'm probably going to frustrate the hell out of you because I'm going to be asking you questions and, and you won't be able All to right. give me very long answers. <laughs> All right. um, but it's the nature of the beast, I'm afraid. Um, yeah. In terms of why the ancient Greeks kind of developed language in the way that they did before anybody else in the world, I suppose, how did that happen? 
Well, one, uh, and there are a couple of important factors there. First is we think of something like a scientific revolution happening in Greece yeah. in as, as early as 600 BC, in that people are speculating about the origins of the world, people are speculating about human beings in ways that, that is not recorded anywhere else. So that's going on in Greece. The other great thing that's happening just before that is the, the importation of the Phoenician letters, what we come to call our alphabet, yeah. is used um, a widespread throughout Greece, and it catches on like wildfire so that they're able now to use their, their own language with the new system of writing that we would recognize as the alphabet today. And that those two things really are coming together, the widespread use of literacy and writing things down for the first time, and then untrammeled intellectual exploration. All of that is happening in the space of about, well, well, centuries, but right. it really comes to a climax in 800, 700, 600 BC. So would they have actually been inventing words then? Because presumably that's what happened, because they wouldn't have had a word for certain things and they would have had to make one up. Well, Greek loves what we call compound words. If we think of a compound word, we're talking about a word that is made up of two words. So pandemic is a really good illustration of a compound word. Yes. The, the word pan means all, right. and, and demos is the people. Yes. So if something is pandemic, then ah. it reaches all people. Okay. Greek loves compound words. Mm. Uh, I don't know what the statistics are, but probably half of the words in a good Greek dictionary are actually compound words because they're trying to invent words for things that are being observed for the first time. Right. It's, it's really wonderful. And then Latin presumably sort of built on top of that, did it? Because I know yeah. that, for example, I think Archimedes travelled from Greece to Sicily at one point mm -hmm. and set himself up there. So was there a kind of cross-pollination? Uh, cross-pollination and really uh, Latin is the channel, the political channel through which Greek knowledge spreads. If you mm. look at the Middle Ages, for instance, when, when the West has lost contact with, with Greece to a large extent, uh, Rome and the influence of Latin still still spreads Greek culture, even though live contact with Greek culture is lost. One example of this is our word parliament, mm. right? That that's, that's a good example of a word that has a, a weaker root in ancient Greek and Latin. This word starts its life as the ancient Greek word parabole, which means, among other things, comparison, like our parable, yes. like, the, like the famous parables of Jesus in the Christian Gospels, right? When he's comparing this to that. Now, in time... The word parabole developed through Latin into the French word parler, to speak. And so eventually our parliament mm. means something like a place for speaking. Yes. You make it sound so uh, straightforward, Charles. I mean, it's brilliant <laughs> how you do that. And what about, well, say, a word that's similar, like parabola, which is not necessarily about speaking. How does that work? Well, parabola comes from this same word, parabole. And okay. that's a good example, again, of another compound word. Para means next to... And bole is just something that you can throw or hurl. So right. we're hurling two things together, or you're, you're tracing the shape of a, of, of a, of a throw, yeah. right, with a parabola. So it also can mean when you're setting two things next to each other and you're comparing things. Mm. Wow. Now, I'm going to finish up now with a question that you may or may not have an answer for. What's your favorite word? My favorite word with Greek and Latin yes. derivation? Well, I've got a lot. Now, I've got squirrel. Butter, school, idle, lager, shambles, pirate, lasagna, sock, skeleton, and mosquito. All of those are good, right? Right. But one of my favorite is toilet paper. Really? Yeah. Have you got toilet any? Paper. Because there's a shortage currently in most parts <laughs> of the world. <laughs> I can tell you where it comes from. Toilet is related to our word towel, and that comes to us 
through French from the Latin word tela, which okay. means any woven thing, like a spider's web. Right. Now, now, paper comes to us through the ancient Greek word for the papyrus plant, right. the papyros, which Egyptians used to create the first paper of the Western world. This word papyros was also spelled as bubulos, which ultimately leads to the word Bible. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely um, gobsmacked. I don't know where that came from, but that was fantastic. <laughs> Dr. Charles Weiss, thank you very much indeed. Cambridge University, ancient Latin and ancient Greek. You know, we can make everything interesting on this show. Coming up, we're going to be doing the Perrier Awards very shortly. But before that, uh, a quick uh, update uh, from our friends in California, because very soon it is going to be the birthday of young Archie Sussex. He would, of course, be the progeny of Meghan and Harry. And... There's a problem, Harry. We can't have a birthday party for Archie because we're locked down. We're stuck in a mansion in Malibu and we can't have anybody round. Oprah can't make it. George isn't coming. None of, nobody's coming. What are we going to do, Harry? What are we going to do, Harry? This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's 12.46, it's Friday, and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. I do love this uh, time of the day and this time of the week because on Friday at this time, it is now uh, the scheduled slot for the Perio Awards. And I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Marta Malagon, uh, who's going to deliver them. Uh, and l luckily, you're in a much better mood this week than you were last week, according to the uh, paella and the scenario. Yeah, I'm still I'm still upset, don't get me wrong. But, I know. Um, life goes on. It does. I, you know, I just thought I could cry about this all day. I did cry a lot about this did last you? week. Did you? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's, then again, I cry very easily. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy because I don't think you've uh, murdered any traditional dishes from any foreign land this week. Not so far. So, you know, I know there's, like, still time. Yes. But, you know, I'm happy for That's that. That's good. So I got attacked by some bloke in Gibraltar <laughs> who ran an artist studio. I, I who can't, was really annoyed. I can't talk about Gibraltar. It's another sensitive was, issue I was going to ask him if, you know, he would like us to just come and, you know, bring him to Britain because effectively he's living in Britain. Well, yeah, exactly. He is, he is in Britain. Yes. You know, much to so there we some are. people's... Uh... We better leave politics yeah, out of it, though, shall we? Good afternoon and welcome good afternoon. to the Perrier Awards. This is where we look back over the past week of the so-called... So-called. So-called, so <laughs> Independent Republic of My Grandma on Talk Radio. Yes. And choose that favourite moment. Mm. And uh, as you know, and is its tradition, the first Perrier goes to you. Thank and you. this one is the most obvious Perrier of the week. And you're listening, of course, to the most fast-growing... Um, I've done it again. <laughs> the fastest-growing radio station on the planet. You got there in the end, This was the sort of tongue-tied Tuesday, wasn't it? Oh, Tuesday was great, honestly. Yeah. I was like, I could literally stop collecting <laughs> berries today. I don't, I don't know what was I... wrong with me. I guess once in a while, you know, you perfection know has to be dropped. Listen, Mike, you're only human. I am only human, it's true. And, and you forget that we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's Everyone's true. really stressed out. Yes. And it was only a matter of time. It was. You know. I recovered well later in the week, I think, from that. Did I? Or not? 
Well, not so let's move concern. on. Okay, then. I'd rather uh, not comment. There's okay. always time. Uh, as people are aware now, uh, the government gives a daily uh, coronavirus press conference yes. um, at 5pm uh, during weekdays, mm. even earlier in the weekend. For us politics and uh, news nerds that we are, this is the highlight of our day. Oh, yes. Like, I literally shed on my That's quite sad, actually. It? it is sad, but, yeah. you know, hey, it is what it is. Um, earlier this week, we spoke to sketch writer for the Times, Quentin Letts. Yes. And this was his reaction when he realised he'd missed one of these press conferences. Now, I don't know if you watched Pretty Patel's performance over the weekend, but she I missed in. that one. I missed the one, she... the one I didn't watch. <laughs> That's funny. Bless. The problem is that there's like so much fear of missing out yeah. because you don't know what's going to come out exactly. of them. Exactly. And that's the weekend as well. So, you know, if you're not paying attention, it can come and go without you realising. Well, exactly. It, mm. might, it might catch you napping or something. Exactly, so, you yeah. know. Uh, anyway, Quentin Letts also wins another period and shares it with you right. for providing the innuendo of the week. <laughs> you know, everybody who sits at home on a laptop quite often doesn't wear trousers, you know, for one reason or another. You know, but it was just a funny for moment. For one reason or another, we won't go into that, Mike Graham. Well, <laughs> well, just because, you know, it, there may be many reasons why, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's one of those typical things that we're going to see a lot of this stuff. People on laptops who can't... I've been, see, I've been enjoying... We didn't, get, we didn't get him yesterday, but I have been enjoying Robert Peston's uh, cameos. I just left it there, Robert yes. Peston's cameos. Yes. Is that like a sort of, like, um, a camisole? It's the same kind of thing. No. No. A cameo. I think he, I think he means a cameo as in, as in you know... Yes. Appearances. Yes. But I don't know. I just thought... Best not to think about it, really. No, that's the, that's the thing as well, yeah. isn't it? And it's right. a family show, so... Yes, exactly I right. am going to move on. Thank you. Rebecca Neons. Mm. I love Rebecca. We do. Miss you. Our Spanish uh, correspondent. She's a Spanish correspondent. I think she's listening. Good. So, hola. Hola. <laughs> she's still great Don't political... <laughs> well done. Uh, he's a, a, she's a political correspondent. Yes. She's in Madrid for the lockdown. And I think she's been locked up for about a month now. Amazing. And that's obviously taking a toll on her. She came on the show the other day, but I think it's fair to say that she wasn't feeling quite herself. It's been reported Spain has done the same, but Talk Radio's reporter in Madrid, Rebecca Nunes, told Mike Graham that's not quite correct. There's 43 forces in the country. The non-social essential workers. Bless her. No, that's certainly a cameo of hers. That is certainly. Yeah. She's uh, now appearing as a, um, some British bloke. Yes, listen, Very I good. said to her, you've gone from Spanish woman to British <laughs> man. Well done, you've Brilliant. made it in life. Tremendous. Anyway, we miss you, come back soon. Yes. Now. All the best. All the best, mm. of course. Um, I've made a decision which is going to be controversial. OK. Uh, this week's Perry for Impression of the Week is not for you. No. No. Goodness. I know, I know. I did say that it was going to be controversial. Yeah. Yes, uh, so I'm here to shock. It goes to Professor Anthony Glees, yes. uh, who joined us earlier in the week to talk oh, yes. about 5G <laughs> and gave us his own version of Donald Trump. I mean, he's tried, hasn't he, with coronavirus all the time yeah. to talk about China. It's the China. <laughs> it's their flu. And, and, Very good, and that. <laughs> I said, I do the impressions on this show. <laughs> Sorry about that. He was, that was a good He Trump. was amazing. China. I was like, what? Very good, yeah. Um, so there you go. But don't worry, dear listeners, because I know what you want, what yeah. you really, really want. Right. And I'm going to give it to you. Good. Here's this week's compilation of Mike's Megan impressions. You can't do that. Harry, Harry, tell them. Harry, Harry. tell them. Megan, <laughs> because today, <laughs> Harry, we've run out of avocado. <laughs> We're stuck in Hollywood again, California, a little bit later on. Because uh, it turns out that uh, Megan 
might be stopping Harry from hunting. <laughs> Stop hunting Harry. It's cruel. Have you spoken to Disney lately? Harry. Harry. Princess Anne's attacked us. She's attacked us. What are you going to do, Harry? Harry. Harry. That's my favourite one. Harry. Do you know, people are starting to say to me, they don't even know how she sounds, but they just assume now that she sounds yeah. like that. I mean, she probably sounds fine <laughs> and nothing like this. But, you know, we just created Amazing. this character. I know. I can't stop now. No, of course not. I have to Listen, do it every day. Do not stop. I, I think have... people want it. They do. There is a demand out there. There is a demand. And mm. we're here to satisfy it. It's what we're here for. Another pair for you, Mike. Yes. This one is the wrong namer of the week. And we'll be talking as well. Um, about uh, some of the things that you have been complaining about. Some of the travel companies, we're going to try and get Jerry Godfrey and the Times Money Mentor. <laughs> Jerry Godfrey? I didn't even know I said that. I know you did. Jerry? Yeah. So I've misgendered her as well. You have misgendered her and, and Although you've Although it could be name. a girl's name as well, Jerry, like Jerry Hall. Yeah, but it's not her name. Her name's Gemma. That's true. I mean, we can see what happened. Yes. But, you know, still. Yeah. And um, I have no idea that I even said that. I know, because we told you and you were like, I said Gemma. We yeah. were like, no, no, you haven't. Right. I said Gemma. And we played that and you were like, Amazing. I think I said Gemma. Amazing. Anyway. Okay. Christian Warmer. Yes. Labour activist, transport yeah. expert, friend, friend of, of the Jeremy show. Friend of Jeremy Corbyn's. <laughs> and that... Ladies and gentlemen, it was a spoiler alert. Sorry. Uh, anyway, yeah, he wins the pair for clarification of the week. But let's talk to Christian Walmart now, who is, of course, a Labour activist and a friend of Jeremy Corbyn's. Christian, a very good morning. Um, I'm not quite a friend of Jeremy Corbyn's. <laughs> I just happen to be in the same constituency. I've known him for a long time. Yeah. I, I mean, it. so he's known him for a long time. He's in the same constituency, but he's not his friend. Well, Presumably that means he doesn't like him. Well, that's what I thought. Yeah. That's what I thought. Anyway, I've got to... Um, um, Crack on because we've got very so, little time. Okay, then. Period. My apologies. You win the next Perry Award for giving us the mystery noise of the week. People like Nick Thomas Simons and uh, uh, um, uh, Annalisa Dodd, <laughs> Motorola, for example. Not that it's up and running. It would be, you know, she is. She's got a first class degree from Oxford. <laughs> for some reason, right? When I tried to put my phone on to read Twitter, mm. it was stuck on um, a video. Which, yeah. of course, every time I opened Twitter, the video came on. Yes. And I somehow didn't know how to stop it. We really enjoyed it. I was this close to coming here and just taking your phone <laughs> away from you. Do you remember that time? Um, I don't know if you remember the time when, for some reason, one of the shows started playing out of my all of my devices at the same time. Oh, my God, yes, I do remember that And one. I couldn't stop it. I literally had to come yeah, in and take your and take iPad and away. your phone and everything. <laughs> as if you were grounded, you know, like a child. But it, so it was me in the background of me. Yes. As Very a weird. I don't know about that. I don't know. No. Speaking of uh, mystery noises, yes. I'm giving this pair of award to someone I don't know. Someone I don't know who he is, but, you know, he's a bulletin crusher and he gets recognition for it. A 42-year-old man was one of our colleagues in London calculated this morning. that one patient weather, fine and dry in one ICU, one It's happened. I don't know. It's happened a few times today as well. Really? We don't know. There must know. be a ghost in the machine. There's a ghost in the machine. Yeah. And, um... um Finally, finally, we're going to skip the next one, Mark, just so you know, I, I, I warned that this could happen. It was another penalty notice for littering because you ripped the Daily Mirror the other day. Ah, yes. So, you know, you owe me 150 quid now. Do I? Yes. Oh, blimey. For littering. I, I picked it up. Well, still. Okay. You litter. All right. 150 pounds. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Don't See me after school. <laughs> yeah.
And now, finally, as yeah. I said, I haven't forgotten about you. Let's give a shout-out to our team of engineers mm. here at Talk Radio. Brilliant. Particular engineer James Larvin, because yes. he wins the Perrin Award for Mystic Meg of the Week. Trying to figure out what my... <laughs> ah. Well, um, our engineers were right. Uh, they said that today uh, will not happen at 12.18, uh, that the phone lines will go down. Today, they go down at 12.17. <laughs> this is Talk Radio. To be fair, he was right. Yes. Has, hasn't happened for the last couple of days, though, has it? Touch, touch wood. Touch wood. We haven't touch got wood. any wood. Well, isn't this... No, it's not wood, Paper is, is the closest thing you've got to wood. Well, there you go. You can touch paper. Um, yeah, James, you're going to make it as a plank of the week if he's not careful. <laughs> I'm not joking. Oh, bless him. You know, imagine predicting that it's not going to happen at 12.18 and yes. being actually right, yeah. but not because it's not happening, because, but because it happens a minute earlier. Yeah, I think this is one to keep an eye out for. Yes. And uh, please, James, keep submitting your predictions. Is there a place you can complain about the engineers? Uh, well, we're doing it on national radio. I think okay. that's enough. <laughs> All right. I was thinking more of a formal complaint. That's okay. So, we'll, we'll sort something out. Okay. We'll, All right. we'll print an incompetence well report. Well, what them. a tremendous, another tremendous edition of the Perry Awards. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much, uh, There'll be more next week. The Perry Awards on Talk Radio. Well, thank you very much to everybody who called who didn't get a chance to get on. Please do try again next week. We have had an incredibly busy show every single day of this week. Uh, Martha and I will be back on Monday. Uh, we're going to go and have a sort of recuperative weekend, I suppose, self-isolating uh, at all times. Uh, I may have to go and buy a couple of bits of food, but I will be, of course, uh, pushing out the old MG Kitchen podcast. And uh, Coming next week, even more excitingly, uh, there's going to be a podcast about keeping fit while you have fun at home. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.